Last week, we began a new series on the Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit, and what does the Holy Spirit do? And we're going to be continuing that today, this morning. You know, usually when someone uh, asks, are you a church who believes in the Holy Spirit? I want to unequivocally say, yes, we do. But unfortunately, when someone asks you a question like that, it tends to be rather loaded, And it tends to be, uh, do you believe in the spectacular uh, things that are claimed to be done by the Holy Spirit today? Are you a church that is spirit-filled and and all of this? And and usually when someone asks a question like that, I kind of know where they're going. (coughs) And so, um, yes, we unequivocally believe in the Holy Spirit, but we want the Word of God to define what our belief in the Holy Spirit is. That should be our standard. That should be our canon for for everything we teach and believe in this church. I don't really foresee that there's going to be a huge problem with that at Calvary Baptist Church, but these are things you'll run into in other churches, even in Baptist churches. And we just want to have a very clear idea of who the Holy Spirit is. This is a study I've been wanting to do for a while, and I was looking for the right time to do it, and it just seemed like now was the right time. And so it's an interesting study because the very one we depend on to do the study is the one that we're studying. And so uh, kind of an interesting study that we're doing here. No, uh, really no other uh, doctrine has quite that one-to-one correspondence that the study of the Holy Spirit does. So uh, so a wonderful study. But in... Uh, in years before, in the 1970s, a, a group of men in Hollywood were, uh, became very good friends. And what is amazing is that every one of them went on to become like a who's who of Hollywood directors. Uh, for example, Martin Scorsese was in that group. Uh, I believe Brian De Palma was in that group. Uh, Steven Spielberg was in that group. And, uh, and they had all at this point had somewhat moderate success, but no real big hit until one hit came out. Uh, it, was, uh, it was Close Encounters of a Third t- Kind. It was a mega hit. And so one of them had already made his first hundred million or so. And so, but, uh, but one of them decided he wanted to do a movie that kind of involved aliens, uh, but was really an opera on film. That's actually what he called it. And he made this film, very low budget. It was, it was tumultuous. It was one of the most uh, recorded uh, worst film shoots in the history of film production. And when he showed the rough cuts to his friends in a private viewing, every single one of them said, this movie is going to flop. This is terrible, with one exception, and that was Steven Spielberg. Spielberg, as, as much of a genius as he is, he said that this movie is gonna change movies forever. That movie was released in 1977, and it was released to amazing reviews, and Spielberg proved to be quite prophetic, because it has changed the landscape of movies forever. That film was a little film called Star Wars, and the filmmaker was none other than George Lucas. And George Lucas shot to amazing fame by this movie. The old westerns kind of went out and everybody went for science fiction at this point and, and, um, and just trying to replicate his success. And really, there was only one other person who really was able to do it, and that was Gene Roddenberry. 
And so uh, just an amazing success. And, and the movie Star Wars introduced something into the cultural language. And that was the idea of the force. In fact, every May the 4th now, we say, may the 4th be with you. And that is a, that is a catch to uh, Star Wars. It has caused mania. And, and back in the 90s, when I was in college, everybody started getting really excited because we heard a rumor that George Lucas was going to make prequels to the movie and tell us how Darth Vader became Darth Vader. And of course, now history is history. And we know that he did just that. When I was in Denver... In the summer of 2000, I met a young man and I talked to him and about uh, his religious beliefs and all that. And he literally told me he believes in the force and he uses the force. I said, you mean like in Star Wars? He said, oh no, it's real. And just to give you an idea of the, of the phenomenon that it became, and unfortunately, a lot of Christians today, when they think of the Holy Spirit, they think of something like the force that they see in Star Wars. It is a power that can be yielded for good or for evil, depending on how you want to use it. Uh, it is an energy force. It is uh, something like, the force is actually based off of Hindu ideas of universal energy, chi and ki and, and Tao and, and stuff like that. It's based off of uh, Eastern philosophy and such. And, um, and it's just become a national phenomenon. And there's a lot of people who the force has kind of integrated their thinking and they believe something very similar, that God himself is something very similar to the force. And most of those people today would label evangelicals like us on the dark side, by the way. If you know Star Wars, you know the, you know the reference there. And so we want to make sure that we have an absolutely clear idea of who the Holy Spirit is. So last week, we talked about his personality, and we talked about that when we respond, when we relate to the Holy Spirit, we must do so personally, that the Holy Spirit is not an energy. In fact, he's not an it at all. He's a he and the Holy Spirit is one that we respond to in a personal way, who has personal characteristics and has all the labels of and all the, all the attributes of an individual. He is, the, uh, he is the third person of the Trinity. But in saying that, we also want to say that the Holy Spirit is not just any person. He's not just any individual. He is a divine person and he is a divine individual. And so this morning, we're going to look at the deity of the Holy Spirit. We're gonna see that the Holy Spirit is not just a person, just an invisible person, but he is in fact God himself. The Holy Spirit is God. And because the Holy Spirit is God, and, and I'm sorry because of my trip to the ER last night, I don't have a PowerPoint for you. But because the Holy Spirit is God, we respond to him not only in a personal way, but we must respond to him appropriately. We must respond to the Holy Spirit as God. If he is God, then he is the sovereign Lord, the sovereign God of the universe, and we must respond to him in an appropriate way like we respond to God the Father and God the Son. Amen? 
And so we're going to look at the Holy Spirit this morning and see that there are two primary proofs as you follow the storyline and the revelation of Scripture. There are two primary proofs of his divinity that we see here. And so number one, because the Holy Spirit of God is God, we must respond to him appropriately because of his divine equality. Because of his divine equality, the Holy Spirit is equal to God the Father and God the Son. And we see this in a couple of ways. And a few of these verses we talked about last week, so I'm not gonna spend just a, a ton of time on them. But just, just looking at it very quickly, we see that number one, he is part of, and that's really a, not a good way to say it, but he is one of the persons of the divine triunity of God. He is one of three persons who is part of the divine triunity of God. He is part of the Trinity. He is a person of the Trinity. And we saw this in Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we looked last week that because he is named with the Father, he is named with the Son, we see that everything God the Father is, everything God the Son is, in essence not in personhood, but in essence, the Holy Spirit is as well. So if the Father is a person, if the Son is a person, then that means the Spirit is a person too. Otherwise, he would not be able to stand equal with the Father and the Son. But also, that also indicates that if God the Father is divine in his essence, if God the Son is divine in his essence, then that also must mean that God the Spirit is divine in his essence also. Otherwise, he could not stand equal with God the Father and God the, God the Son. Can you imagine me baptizing someone in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and Randy Scott? What would that, what would that indicate? That I was equal with God, right? I don't do that. I don't do that at all. In fact, think about this for a minute. Have you ever noticed, you know, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the free, what's called the free church, the, the radical reformation, Mennonites, Anabaptists, and all that, whenever they baptize, they actually baptize three times. Uh, I call that the triple dunk. They, they actually do that three times because they baptize you in the name of the Father, they baptize you in the name of the Son, they baptize you in the name of the Holy Spirit. We don't do that. We baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is one, one baptism. There is one immersion. Why do we do that? Because even though we're baptizing in the name of three persons, they're one God, right? God in essence, three persons in personhood. And that language is very important. It's been, it's been tested through the centuries. And so if the Spirit was less than God, he could not stand equal in the Trinitarian formulas. We also looked at uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 14 last week. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. An amazing verse that basically encapsulates and summarizes the covenant of redemption that took place between, we believe, took place between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in eternity past. But also look at 1 Corinthians 12, chapter, uh, verse four. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse four. And I want you to notice this. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same what? Spirit, right, verse five. 
There are varieties of ministries. Now, is that equal to varieties of gifts? Kind of saying the same thing from a different perspective, right? Well, look at that. If there are a variety of ministries and the same what? The same Lord. Who's that talking about? It's talking about Jesus, right? Because he's Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Then you go down to verse six. And there are varieties of effects, which again is parallel to gifts and ministries and effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. Who's that talking about? God the Father. And so we see this Trinitarian emphasis of ministry in the church, that God is the one, God the Father uh, executes and brings out the effects. Jesus Christ gives us the ministry to do so, and the Holy Spirit applies those ministry to us by empowering us with the gifts in order to do it. All ministry properly understood is Trinitarian, and it is the Spirit who brings the ability to minister to us because he is God. And we're going to talk a little more, a lot more about spiritual gifts in a future sermon. So he is also directly referred to as God. And um, I'm just going to have you look here, write it down. But Acts chapter five, verses three and four. Again, we referenced this last week. But Peter and Aeneas lied about selling his uh, field and giving all the proceeds to the church, although he held back a little for himself. And I want you to notice what Peter says. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? He goes on and says, while it was remained unsold, did it not remain yours? And when it was sold, was it not in your disposal? In other words, Ananias, you could have done anything you wanted to with the money. It was yours. You didn't have to give any of it. But then he goes on and says, why have you contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but you have lied to not to the Holy Spirit, but you have lied to God. In other words, Peter says that to lie to the Holy Spirit is the equivalent of lying to God. He directly equates him with God. By the way, how foolish is it to do that? Isn't that foolish to lie to the Holy Spirit? And yet I dare say we do it so often. I dare say we do it so much. And so it's foolish, foolish. But probably the most significant is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. And it says now, and you can't really get more plain than this, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And this verse is highly significant. And here's why. Because Paul, when he wrote this verse, keep that up there for a minute, Mark, if you don't mind. But Paul, when he wrote this verse, it is in a context that is referring to something that happened in Exodus chapter 35. When Moses goes into the tent and he spends time in the personal presence of God, and when he comes out, his face is so full of glory, he has to put a veil over his face in order to block everyone else's view of God's glory on his face, right? And so he's talking about how Moses went in and spent personal time with the Lord. And yet when you look, go back and you look at that text in Exodus 35, you discover that it is actually Yahweh that Moses is spending time with. And we know that when, when the Jews translated the Old Testament into Greek, oftentimes they would not transliterate Yahweh. They would replace it with the word kurdos, which means Lord. 
And so what Paul is using the Lord here is in an Old Testament sense to where he is saying, Yahweh is the Spirit. The Spirit is Yahweh, the very God that spent personal, uh, one-to-one, personal, face-to-face time with Moses. The very God who did that is now the very God who indwells inside of us. And guess what? We have the same relationship with God that Moses had in the tent. Isn't that amazing? But look what he goes on to say. He says, yes, the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is. Notice that double usage, that in essence, the Spirit is Yahweh, but he is one person of Yahweh. He is Yahweh and he is the Spirit of Yahweh. So right there in that verse, you have that distinction that he is fully divine and he is also the third person of the Trinity. Very, very significant. An amazing reference. So what does this mean for us? Let's, uh, let's bring this to, okay, Randy, that's great. Spirit is God. Got it. What do we do? Somebody say, so what? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Here's what we do with it. Last week, we said in his personality, we respond to him personally, but now in his divinity, we respond to him appropriately. The Holy Spirit is God. And how do we respond to the Holy Spirit appropriately, beloved? In his essence, the Holy Spirit is worthy of worship. He is worthy of reverence. He is worthy of respect. I think it's odd that some churches, especially among the fundamentalist groups that I grew up in, I think it's odd that they refuse to sing songs to the Holy Spirit. Why would you do that? You know, uh, what's the song that goes, uh, it's not to God be the glory, it's uh, glorify thy name. Spirit, Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. And then a lot of churches will leave out the third verse, Spirit, we love you. Why in the world would you do that? The Spirit is God. He's worthy of our worship He's worthy of our respect. We'll talk a little bit more of what this means specifically, but in Mark chapter three, verse 28 and 29, a verse that needs a little more explanation than we have time to do today. But he says, truly I say to you, all sin shall be forgiven of the sons of men, whatever blasphemies they utter. But whosoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Again, we'll talk about that more. But basically what it means is to disbelieve his testimony, specifically to disbelieve the testimony of the spirit of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If the spirit is convicting you of sin and if he is convincing you that you are a sinner, that you need the Lord and you walk out on that and you say it's probably nothing, beloved, you are putting your life at risk. You are risking an eternal sin that will never be forgiven. If the preacher preaches that salvation is by faith alone and the completed works of Jesus Christ and his person, and the Spirit is giving you new clarity on that and and causing you to understand it for the first time, and yet you say, I'll wait till later, ooh, that is dangerous. Don't do that. Because to delay is to deny, at least for a while. Don't do that. Respond. If the Spirit is convicting you, respond to him now. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. 
You're not guaranteed this evening. Respond to him today. Today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. Do not, do not blaspheme against the Holy Spirit by denying his testimony that he is giving you of Jesus Christ. Don't do that. Don't do that. And so the Holy Spirit is God in his person and his dignity. He is, he is worthy of worship and praise, although we do know that to the Spirit's primary role is to point us to Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, if a, if, a, if a service, if a church service is truly spirit-filled, a lot of churches today claim to be spirit-filled, but if a church is truly spirit-filled today, the focus will not be on the spirit. The focus will be on Jesus Christ. And when you get filled with the spirit, beloved, you act like Jesus. You don't act like an animal. You certainly don't act like a demon. You act like Jesus. And so, but that comes in weeks ahead. I'm getting ahead of myself. So we respond to the Spirit appropriately because of his divine equality. And secondly, we, divine, we respond to the Spirit appropriately because of his divine attributes. Divine attributes. Scriptures not only call him God, but it also demonstrates that he is God because he has attributes that can only be true of God himself characteristics that can only be true that if of the Holy Spirit, they can only be true if the Holy Spirit is himself divine. And that's what we want to look at. And by the way, I could say a lot here, but I'm just going to limit it to four very quick ones. Okay. So number one, he is eternal. The Holy Spirit is eternal. Look in Hebrews 9, 14 for a moment. Hebrews 9, 14, he says, now how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself, now stop right there and notice that the author of Hebrews mentions that the spirit is in fact eternal, that the spirit was never created in the same way that Christ was not created, but has always been. So also the spirit is eternal and he has never been created either. We see this in scriptures much in the same way that we see the Christ active in the scriptures um, in the Old Testament that we saw months ago. In the same way, we see that the Spirit is present and is active in the Old Testament as well, not fully revealed until the New Testament. Yes, because Christ is the one who is the full revelation of God. So it makes sense that we would not have a full understanding of the Trinity of God until Christ came. That, that should not be a surprise. And yet now we know, looking back on the Old Testament, allowing new revelation to interpret the old, that we see that the Spirit was active the entire time, from the very beginning, present at creation in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, present all through the Scriptures. We see that he was worked among his people. He, he, uh, he filled people. He came upon people like Moses. He came upon people like uh, Joshua, even, even imperfect heroes, like the judges, whenever he had a purpose to accomplish. He spoke through his prophets. We say the spirit of the Lord says. We see all of that. The spirit is eternal. And this is one of the primary proofs that he is God because only God can be uncreated and only God can be eternal. You know, sometimes your kid asks, who made God? Well, nobody. 
Because if anyone made God, then that being is higher than God. And you can't have that. And yet in the same way, if the spirit is created, if he is just an energy, if he is just a force that is sent out by God, then by definition, he is created. And God is not created, my friends. Jesus was not created. The father was not created. The spirit was not created either. They are co-eternal. We also see that he is all-knowing all-knowing. And the fancy $3 word for this, some of you know it? Yeah, omniscient. So just think omniscience is how you spell that. Omniscience, omniscience. So, uh, so go, go to lunch today and impress somebody. But, uh, but God is all-knowing. What it, what it means is that he just knows everything. In 1 Corinthians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 10, Here's what he says. He says, for to us, God revealed them through the spirit for the spirit searches all things. Watch this. Even the depths of God, even the depths of God to search the depths of God is to search the infinite riches of who God is. And this is something that no finite creature can do. Not us not nature, not the angels of heaven, but only the Holy Spirit because he is infinite. In fact, this, pas- this passage goes on to say that the spirit knows the thoughts of God. Beloved, do you understand that to know the thoughts of God is to know everything? Is to know everything. Everything that is, everything that could have been, everything that was, everything that will be, God knows it all. And if the Spirit knows the thoughts of God, then that means the Spirit knows it too. And the Spirit is omniscient. He is all-knowing. And other, beloved, other than what God has revealed to us in his word, you and I cannot know God. He is infinite. We are finite. And that's why Paul says it is the spirit who teaches us who God is. It was Christ who revealed God to us. And it is now the spirit, the one who teaches it to our hearts, who illumines our hearts. Every time we preach, every service, we begin the sermon with a prayer for illumination because we understand that you and I, no matter how smart we are, no matter how gifted we are, no matter who we are, you and I cannot ascend to the heights of God. If we're going to know God, the spirit must teach us. He must illumine our hearts. He must illumine our lives. He is all-knowing, and this shows that he is also infinite. He is all-powerful. There's a fancy $3 word for this too. Just think of the omnis. Omniscient, omnipotent, omnipotent. Now, we're not talking about a potent smell here. We are talking about, when you talk about a potent smell, you talk about what? A very strong smell. I discovered this week one of our kids at camp uh, does not like my cologne. I put it on. I typically put three small sprays. It's Armani, it's Armani uh, Agua de Giorno. I put it on. Apparently, he didn't like the smell because he came up to me. He said, Randy, you stink. <laughs> so apparently, my cologne was very potent that day, Right? Well, God the Spirit is omnipotent. He is omnipotent. 
He has all power. I'm not going to say that kid's name, but his first initial was Wit. So, um, <laughs> so um, it's okay, brother. I forgive you. So I did put on a little too much spray that day. So I, I, I see your point. So, but guys, the point is, is that the spirit is omnipotent, just like God is. And we see this in, um, in Luke chapter one, verse 35. Luke chapter one, verse 35, it says, and this is the angel revealing to Mary that she is um, gonna have a virgin birth or more specifically a virgin conception. And the angel answered to her and said that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now watch the parallel. And the power of the most high will overshadow you. So, So do you see that parallel there? that the Holy Spirit will come upon you is parallel and, and equal to the fact that the power of the Most High will overshadow her. That's a, that's a Hebrew parallelism. It's, it's poetic. And those two phrases are meant to be talking about the same thing, right? Just like if I were to say, this is the worship center and lifeblood of our church, this room. Well, I'm talking about the same thing, right? I use two different words to describe it, but I'm talking about the same thing. So in the same way, that's what the Hebrew is doing here. It is saying that he, the, pre, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Do you realize that the very presence of the Holy Spirit in your life indwelling you is the power of the Most High God within you? Do you realize how much power you have at your disposal by virtue of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that? Do you recognize that? Do you realize how much you've been given in Christ? Do you realize what you have in Christ? In fact, you wanna know how powerful the Holy Spirit is? Somebody say yes. Awesome. Look at that word. He says, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That word overshadow hearkens back to the Exodus where the glory cloud of God was said to overshadow the tabernacle. And, that, and it's a picture of the future indwelling of Christians and the future ministry of Christ who was filled by the Holy Spirit. But I want you to see there that that connection there, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit, uh, the, the angel of God is connecting the person of the Holy Spirit to the glory cloud of God that, that appeared as a pillar of fire in the day and a cloud, to, or excuse me, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You wanna know how powerful the Holy Spirit is? Let me ask you a question. What was it that held the mightiest army on earth back whenever the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. Do you remember? The cloud went behind them and slammed down into the ground and the mightiest army on earth was stuck in their tracks. They could not get the past, the power of God until Israel safely passed through the Red Sea. And beloved, that is the power that is within you. The power, the very power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that indwells you, beloved. You don't need spectacular signs. You don't need spectacular things. You have the mightiest power in the universe 
at your disposal and dwelling your heart. Beloved, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The, mo the most high, the power of the most high is indwelling you. And he brings with him the very power of God. You can defeat that sin. You have the power of God. You can conquer that sinful habit. You have the power of God. You can endure that trial. You have the power of God. You can be holy. You have the power of God. You can please God. You have the power of God. The Holy Spirit brings amazing power into our lives and we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And who brings that strength of Christ to me? It is the Holy Spirit. Don't tell me you can't defeat that sin. Don't tell me that, well, that's just how I am and I'm never gonna change. Beloved, that is insulting to the Holy Spirit. Don't ever let me hear you say something like that. It just proves how little your faith is. That's all it proves. Doesn't prove anything to me. Doesn't prove anything to anyone else. It proves how little your faith is. Don't say you can't change. Don't say you can't be holy. Don't say you can't stop sinning as a particular sin. Yes, you can. Because the Holy Spirit indwells you. Amen? Amen. He is all-powerful. He is omniscient. He is eternal. And finally, he is everywhere. He is everywhere. Again, one of these omnis. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. This is the last one. Look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And in verse 7 through 13, David says, where shall I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? It's a rhetorical question and the obvious answer is nowhere. But he gives us a list of alternatives, a list of opposites that signifies that there is nowhere you can go. If I take, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Shaul, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the, covenors, the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. There is nowhere we can go from the Holy Spirit. He is everywhere present, omnipresent. And by the way, did you notice that parallelism in the first verse, in verse seven, where can I go from your spirit or flee from your presence? Again, that phrase is parallel. You should understand them together. That the presence of the spirit is the very presence of the Lord. There's literally nowhere you can be that the Holy Spirit is not present. Nowhere. Absolutely nothing. And further, beloved, he is with the Christian in a special way, in a way that the Old Testament saints, I don't believe, even knew. He, he indwells us. He, he permanently seals us. He has a permanent ministry, whereas in the Old Testament, he would fill uh, certain servants for a particular task, and, and David had to pray, do not take your spirit away from me. 
Beloved, in the New Testament, we need never pray that prayer because the Spirit's indwelling is permanent. It is sealed with us. He is sealed with us. His power, which is what I meant by it, is sealed with us. It will never leave us. We are sealed by the Spirit of God until the day of redemption. You know what day that is? The second coming of Christ. And for you to lose your salvation, God would have to, that seal would have to be broken. And who's gonna break it? You can't. Can you overcome the power of God? No. Only God can break it and he promised us he won't. We're sealed till the day of redemption. And so he is everywhere present with us. So again, Somebody, okay, he's got all these attributes. Somebody say, so what? (laughs) So what? What does this mean for us? Beloved, he is eternal. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is everywhere. There's nowhere that you can go apart from the Spirit. You are only limited in your pursuit of holiness by the very power of God. The God who is eternal, who knows everything past, present, future, and what would have been even. All of these things, what does all this mean? It means, beloved, that you can trust the Holy Spirit. He has the power, He has the wisdom, He has the knowledge, He understands. He is our contact person with God Almighty. We could just as accurately sing what a friend we have in the Holy Spirit. He is our friend. He is our companion. And he is an absolute source of total trust that we can place our trust in him. We do not have to be left to the whims and the waves of the world's ideas. We don't have to be slaves to the latest fads. We can trust the Holy Spirit. And beloved, in ministry, there's always a temptation for the church to give in to the wisdom of the world and whatever form it takes to bring about the ministry of the word. Beloved, we don't have to do that. Unfortunately, we at camp even saw some of that this week, these high-pressure tactics and this kind of emotional manipulation that preachers will sometimes do. We don't have to do that. We can trust the Holy Spirit. And beloved, I am not the Holy Spirit in your life, so therefore, I don't have to give you legalistic rules. You realize when people do that, all they're doing is trying to take the place of the Holy Spirit because they think that they are smarter than God. How dare we? How dare we? It's an insult. So much of what is meant to stir emotional manipulation and such, high-pressure tactics, gimmicks, productions... All of these things, beloved, we don't have to listen to the wisdom of man to tell us how to build our church. God said, Jesus said, I will build my church. And I don't wanna be in competition against Jesus. Amen? He may not build it the way we want it to be built. He may not build it in the timing we want it to be built. But make no mistake, when we are faithful to him, Jesus will build his church. So the idea is faithfulness, faithfulness. That doesn't mean there's no place for creativity and innovation. No, 
but it does mean everything we do is measured by the standard of not what, is, not what will work, but what is faithful. How can we be more excellent in our faithfulness? I, whenever me and John and Mark get together and talk about the different ministries we're doing, I always ask them the question, how can we be, what is one thing we can do better this month? What is one thing we can do different that we haven't done yet that will make us more excellent in our faithfulness and the ministries that God's given us? We always ask that question. We want to be faithful and we want to be excellent in our faithfulness. He is all powerful and all knowing. And to the person who has the spirit of God, beloved church is very attractive. We don't have to make church attractive to the lost. People who by definition cannot worship God, we're not here to do that. We're not here to tickle ears. To the person who has the spirit of God, when we open up the word of God and let it breathe, that is profoundly attractive to the person who loves Jesus Christ. We don't have to listen to the wisdom of the world and sermon timing and and all this kind of stuff. Beloved, we have the power of the spirit. So we must not change the gospel. We must not make it more user-friendly. We must not bring man-made wisdom to make it more attractive. If we do that, it will lose its power. All we need is the power of the Holy Spirit. We can trust him. Do you believe that? Amen. And one other thing I wanna say, and then we're done. I know I've gone a little long. You can be comforted in the Holy Spirit. He knows you perfectly. He knows you intimately. He indwells you. The very third person of God is within you. And you can be comforted in him. Beloved, when you doubt, he assures us. When we sin, he convicts us. When we are in despair, he gives us hope. When we are hurting, he gives us comfort. When we're not sure what to do, he guides us. And when we are in need of any help, He is our divine helper. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Amen. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have the spirit in your life. You're not in the Holy Spirit. You don't, you're not, you've not received the Holy Spirit because you have not believed in Jesus Christ as your savior. I want to offer you the opportunity to to just come forward. I'm gonna have, just to help me out, I'm gonna have Mark and, and, and uh, not Mark, <laughs> sorry, Mark. I'm gonna have, uh, he's looking at me, what? I'm gonna have Art and I'm gonna have John come up here and just kind of stand on opposite sides. Uh, Art's coming to this side, John, why don't you go over there? If I can get down the stairs, I'll go to the middle. And uh, we just wanna give you an opportunity to respond. And maybe you're here this morning and you have been resisting the Holy Spirit in your life. Maybe you are saved, but you know you've been resisting him and holiness, and prayer, and and time in the scriptures. And you just wanna make a commitment that I want to, in the Spirit's power, I want to commit to seek God through his word, through prayer, through the means, the divine means that he gives us. Not things we make up, but by the means he's given us in his word. Maybe you're here today and you wanna make that kind of commitment. Maybe you're here today and you want to join the church. Maybe you're here today and you know that you need Christ as Savior. You know you don't have the Spirit living within you. I beg any of and all of you to come.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the remarkable work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, it is that remarkable work that he gives us that we are able to please you, we are able to know you, we are able to love you, we are able to serve you. Everything that we have in life and everything we do in ministry is a gift from your gracious, wonderful grace that is applied to us in the Holy Spirit. And if there's one here this morning who has been resisting the Spirit, maybe they've been needing to join the church, maybe they've been needing to seek you more, maybe they've been needing to set aside a sin, maybe they've been needing to stop a habit, maybe they're looking for guidance, maybe they're hurting and they're looking for help, whatever it is, Lord, that they've been resisting you, they would stop this morning and they would know you through the power that the Spirit gives them. Lord, we don't need miraculous signs. What better sign could you give us than your resurrection? It is finished, you said. We have everything we need for life and godliness in this world through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that he would make himself known this morning in the lives of your people. May we all surrender to God and the power that the Spirit gives us. Now I'm gonna pray, whatever commitment you have to make this morning, I would pray that you would come or maybe you just do it where you are. But whatever it is, I pray that you would do work with the Spirit this morning within you. I'm gonna ask you to stand and just bow your heads and reflect as we play some music.